Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Clever Girls Know podcast. This is Bola from clevergirlfinance.com. And today on my podcast, I have an incredible guest. Her name is Bobby Rebel, and we're going to be talking about how to be a financial grown up and why marrying the right person matters. And Bobby is a certified financial planner and the host of the Financial Grown Up podcast. She's also the author of the best selling self help and personal finance book called How to Be a Financial Grown Up proven advice from high achievers on how to live your dreams and have financial freedom. In addition, Bobby's a keynote speaker, a conference MC, a brand ambassador, and a moderator. And she's also an award-winning TV anchor and personal finance columnist and has worked at Thomas Rauder's PBS Nightly Business Report, CNN, and CNBC. And she has also been featured in several publications, most recently in Cosmopolitan and Forbes magazine. I just love Bobby. She has such a bubbly personality and she tells it just like it is. And so in this episode, um, Bobby shares her personal story with money and how she was raised, including her family's immigrant dream story and the expectations placed on her surrounding this dream. She shares what it really means to be a financial grown-up. She shares her worst financial decision, which had to do with marrying the wrong person, and also her best financial decision. And we get into a conversation about prenups and whether to get them or not. But before we get into this really interesting conversation I have with Bobby, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes and watch videos on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. And also be sure to head over to clevergirlfinance.com and subscribe there as well. You will get access to our Facebook group, our resource library, and I just recently launched a brand new 10-day challenge for those of you who are in that space where you want to work on improving your relationship with your money. So head over to the website and subscribe to get access to that as well. So let's get into the this conversation with Bobby. Oh, by the way, I was so excited to talk to Bobby that I forgot to turn on my mic. So there are a couple areas where I sound muffled, but otherwise you guys will hear me just fine. I apologize for that. Okay, here it is. Hey, Bobby, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Bola, thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to have this conversation with you and learn all about being a financial grown up. <laughs> Yay. But We're trying. I know, <laughs> but I would love for you to first introduce yourself to everyone. Tell them who you are, what you do. So I am Bobby Rebel. I'm a financial journalist. I'm also recently a certified financial planner. I have been covering business news, which is different from personal finance, which we can talk about, for my entire career since college, starting with, well, I had an internship at CNN. I don't know if that counts. And then my paying jobs paying being important. It was very exciting to get paid. Um, we're at CNBC where I started as a production assistant, worked my way up there to booking guests and producing. And I was at CNN for a while uh, working on early morning television, which is exciting in business TV because you do a lot of economic numbers. You can nerd out on that stuff. And I worked on the nightly business report where I first got on camera. And then I was on camera at Reuters. And then a couple of years ago, so I wanted a better work-family balance. I'd also been doing it, frankly, for two decades and wanted to change a pace. So I thought about where I saw opportunity and I had always wanted to write a book. So I came up with a concept called Financial Grown-Up and I went around interviewing people, not necessarily the people on Reuters, but a lot of CEOs, celebrities, 
um, some actresses and things like that, and put together a personal finance book that's really story-driven based on the experiences of high-achieving individuals. And that has now become a podcast. So I have the Financial Grown-Up Podcast as well now. I love it. That's awesome. So Bobby, you are, you're currently on TV, right? So right now, my primary quote job is my podcast. That's mm-hmm. my focus. However, side hustles continue. So you <laughs> do see me on local news a lot because I do freelance where I do business updates from the NASDAQ market site. So very often I'll appear on local news at very early, early times, Bola, so early, um, doing the business headlines from the NASDAQ. And basically you sit in a little tiny booth and different stations dial into your earpiece and everyone has a slightly different script and you present the business headlines that are most relevant to that region. So they might change as you go through the country because Californians might care about things a little bit different than what they care about in Florida, let's say. So it's always slightly different and um, you present the headlines, you chit chat with the anchors and so on. And I also have some other TV products. You may see me on CNBC. I work with Synchrony on a year-long project called State of Pay, which is really fun. And that's talking about the evolution of the payment systems and that's um, branded content for them, which is great. And then I also appear as a spokesperson for various brands as well. That's so awesome. So ladies, if you watch the financial news or the business news and you see Bobby's picture um, with this podcast, she will probably look familiar to you. (laughs) I hope so. We're trying. And I love... um, I also did international news for, you know, two decades, but (laughs) go on. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was going to say, I love your podcast and your book. And we can talk a little bit more about your book later on because I'm sure the ladies would want to check it out. Um, But I wanted you to talk a little bit to us about your personal story and your background with money. So why are you even a CFP now? What made you get into the financial news and the business news? What was your personal story like with your finances growing up or in the earlier stages of your life? Oh my goodness. So everyone has such a complicated story. My story is very different from a lot of people's in that I did grow up um, with a lot of financial security, let's say. I am the third generation American. So my grandfather was born in the United States. And that makes a big difference in many people's journeys, where you are in the, in, you know, we are a country of immigrants. So where you are in the immigration chain. So my grandfather came here from Eastern Europe and I'm sorry, he was born here. His parents came here and he, they had a little grocery on the Lower East Side of New York City. We're Jewish. That's a very typical Jewish immigrant story. And he went to night school. So he worked all day in the grocery store and he went to night school. His dream was for his children to go to Harvard. So the same day, my grandfather's dream came true. My father graduated Harvard Law School and my uncle graduated Harvard College. So that's an immigrant dream story. The net effect though, and why it's relevant is that by the time you get to me, we had a good amount of financial resources. So I didn't grow up with a lot of the struggles that a lot of people do. And I'm very appreciative of that. That said, I also did grow up the child of workaholics. My father worked all the time and was always commuting. And my mom was a lawyer. And there were very high expectations for us because there was an awareness of how far ahead we started. And so it was a very high pressure type A household. And we were pushed a lot to overachieve and 
I say that because you asked about the CFP and it's completely in theory unnecessary <laughs> given my background on the surface, but it's, I always have been driven to do more and more and more and more, more. So it was kind of ridiculous in some ways because I'm a longtime journalist. I, you know, life teaches you more than books to some degree when it comes to things like that. But I felt that I needed to have that achievement for my own validation and sense of achievement. Um, I kind of got lost there Bola, a little bit, but the point is I, I grew up, even though we were financially very solid, I also grew up with very high expectations. So for example, um, my father would call me into his study every semester and he would expect us to have a complete breakdown of what money we needed and what our budget was and what we were going to spend it on. And he always said yes to whatever number we came up with. However, when you're a teenager and you're talking about what you have to plan what you need for half a year. And it, if you're realistic, it comes out to a very large number, right? Mm -hmm. Because we had to pay, we were expected to pay for everything, but you know, so what would happen is I would always under budget because I felt so guilty and felt so bad. And then, but I had jobs always also. I started working at age 15 at a bakery um, in our neighborhood. Um, I had to get special working papers. So even though we didn't quote need the money, they were always making sure that we were working. And I always had jobs growing up. I worked at the bakery for minimum wage. I wish I had one of those paychecks, Bola. I had to wear this yellow polyester uniform. I had to memorize the price of every baked good. And then I worked at a tiny, it was like a local department store where I did gift wrap, which was great because you would get tips. But I learned how to give, you really had to be, if someone's paying like $5 to get their gift wrapped, and this is the 1980s, it better be really perfect. So it was like its own kind of high stress job. Um, but it was, it was also nice. And I mean, I worked and I call them the fold and close jobs, you know, where you, after the bakery, I tried to avoid food, I should say. And then for various obvious reasons to anyone that's worked in the food industry. And so I worked more for clothing. And so I always had like, I had those fold and clothing jobs where you work at places like the Gap. Um, the one I worked at a lot was actually called The Lodge. I don't know if it exists anymore, but it was a lot of fold and close perfectly on those folding boards. So I grew up with a very strong work ethic. And so I just always just kept working. And I, as I said, I just wanted to change my life after two decades of being a journalist. And so I'm trying to do less, but it's actually been more. And my son, Bola, you'll love this. I have a 10-year-old son. I worry, I don't know if this is a good thing or not. I worry he's taking after my workaholic tendencies because I caught him awake this morning early before he has to, he, he's on the bus to school at 7.20. He's supposed to get up at 6.30. I caught him up early because he has a coding project he's working on. Not for school, not for anything, but he has a channel on Scratch and he feels he has to deliver his coding on time to his supporters. Oh, wow. <laughs> so he's up early coding. <laughs> so I'm a little worried that my workaholic ways are being passed down <laughs> to my son. Um, but that's a little bit about me. So um, there's a couple of things that you said that really resonated with me, and I'm just going to go over them just so that folks who are listening can kind of hear what I'm thinking, and so you can hear it too, but your your grandfather was born here, and he, you know, a child of immigrants, and I love the fact that he had the dream that he wanted his children to go to Harvard, 
um, you know, I think it's just really, really important, regardless of where you are financially, your finances may not be in the best place. It's really important to have big dreams, not just for yourself, but also for your children. And I love that he had that vision, he had that dream. And that's basically what your family across that generation lived out. Like you brought his dream to life. And I also love the fact that you, you know, in your family, you guys have a line of generational wealth, which is so important. And something that I talk about, like when you're building wealth, it doesn't just end with you. You want to set your children up for success and your children's children. And I also love the fact that your father made you guys get jobs and he talked to you guys about budgeting and he talked to you guys about finances, because there are a lot of people who, um, you know, grow up financially stable or who grow up very affluent and they're bad with money. And that line of generational wealth ends with them because they have no idea how to manage it. And we see that a lot, you know, in the media and with celebrities and families who have worked so hard for their money. And then one child just goes crazy with his inheritance or with his trust fund. And then that's it. You know, and his his generation now has to start over from the beginning. So I really, really love the values that, you know, your family and your grandfather your father instilled that are now leading you to instill in your <laughs> semi-workaholic 10 year old <laughs> <laughs> what am I gonna do with him how do you what do you do <laughs> I don't know so he also has by the way offered to help with my business he told yeah. me he can do my graphics and he wants to do my promotional videos and the truth is Bola <laughs> skill wise he can you can put He's him on good. I want to hire him. I know, I know. Well, you know, you got to watch out for that kitty tax though, but yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of segue into um, financial decisions since you've been in this game for a while. <laughs> what has been your worst financial decision that you've made with money? So I'm going to say something that I can't say no one's ever said before because I haven't listened to every single episode of your show, but... I'm going to get real here. And I'm going to say that the worst decision I made was to marry the wrong person in my mid-20s. And that's kind of an unusual thing to say. But, and this is advice from my mom that she gave me after we got divorced, of course, that, and my parents did have a successful marriage until she unfortunately passed away. But the person that you marry or financially partner with, however you define that, is going to define your finances more than almost anything else. Because if you, it's not only being on the same page financially, it's also your ability to fulfill your dreams together. So if you have someone that may want to live an extravagant life, but they're not going to pull their weight, you're going to have a problem. You may have someone that wants to be super frugal, but they're not going to save. You know, they have to actually execute what they say. And you, if you are not, I mean, it, I don't know what the statistics are, Bola, but money is really the destroyer of so many relationships, but relationships can also destroy your money, if that makes sense. And people forget the reverse of that, that even as much as a relationship could destroy, you know, you talk about, oh, they fight about money all the time, that's destroying their relationship. But if the relationship is not strong, it will also destroy your finances. Mm -hmm. That's true. So I really would caution all the ladies, um, if you are considering marrying somebody, really think about how they approach money and if it's in line with your philosophy and if you can execute together because that is jobs come and go, Bola. I mean, I've been married twice. I'm happily married the second time. And with both husbands, unexpectedly, I was the breadwinner. Very unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And 
it can really throw you for a loop. And the reason that my second marriage survived so many financial ups and downs because we're both um, divorced. So there's an impact from your ex-spouse on your current marriage if you have children is because we just have the fortitude to weather that storm because we really do have the same core beliefs and a very similar work ethic, which is really important as well. So we worked through a lot of hardship that came from the recession, that came from the fallout from activities related to his divorce, let's just say. Um, And you have to be strong together. I I love that. And, you know, I did a podcast episode early on, maybe early last year, and it was questions you should ask someone you're dating before you get married. I think that was the title. Oh, that's good. (laughs) Did you do that with your husband? No, I did it on my own. <laughs> no, but did you like, did you do that? Did oh, you yeah, then go back? Question. Yeah. So I'm going to get really yeah. honest and tell everybody on here. And you, if you listen to this <laughs> podcast long enough, and if you know me, you probably know this. But, you know, when I was dating, so I used to have an ex-boyfriend and it was, you know, not, I wouldn't describe it as a serious relationship. But one day he asked me to loan him money and he asked me to loan him a large amount of money. It was $15,000. And immediately he asked me, I was like, I can never marry this person. And it wasn't because he was asking me to loan money. It was just because all of the different characters, characteristics that he had that led him to that point where he, he was asking me for money just was like a deal breaker for me. It didn't matter how much I liked him or loved him. It didn't matter how we looked as a couple. It didn't matter about anything. I'm like, this guy is bad with money. I can never marry him. It yeah. crossed yes. my mind. <laughs> and then when yeah. I started with my current husband, we would have conversations about money. I needed to know, you know, what his finances look like, what his credit score looked like. I needed to know what his plans were, you know, for the next five years, because at the time when we started dating, he was still in school. So like, those are things that, you know, and for some people, they're like, everything is not money, but those are things that are really important to me. And I know that money is right up there with infidelity when it comes to the reasons why people get divorced. It's one of the top reasons. And so it's not that you sit down and interview this person. Okay, sit down. Let's talk about how much do you owe? What are your student loans? Blah, blah, blah. So you have these conversations ongoing, right? In conversation and casual talk. But it's so important, ladies. You have to know this. And you have to... I think, you, you know, the financial aspect of what somebody brings to a relationship carries a lot of weight in addition to their character characteristics as a person, you know, cause a lot of times people say, well, he's such a good guy. I'm not going to worry about the money factor or it's okay. And it's not that he has to be rich or he has to have this amazing job. He just has to ha- have ambition and he has to be in that mind frame where he wants to succeed with his money and that he's willing and open to have conversations about how you guys can, can succeed with money as a team. That's really important to me. So you know, that was my approach to get married. <laughs> no, but it's so important because it's not about the specific job and it's not about um, the specific salary at the moment you get married. I mean, my first husband had a good job. My current husband had a very good job. Both of them evaporated right around the time we got married. Um, and both were truly no fault of their own. I mean, my first husband's company was bought while we were engaged by another company and they merged and that has nothing to do with him. And my current husband, um, his company basically imploded in the recession. Um, you know, right after we bought a home, right after all this other stuff was happening, we had a new baby coming. So, but you know, by the way, he's now doing better than ever. Even my father had various careers and he has been incredibly successful, but 
in different ways than you thought. My mother married a lawyer. He was a Harvard lawyer, as you know, and he had a job at a fancy law firm. And then he quit it. He quit it because he did not see a future in hourly work, working to the working so much. Those people worked like crazy hours. And he felt that a different to career pivot, he wanted to go into investment banking. And so short term, he really took a, a massive salary cut. I, I remember hearing stories that his mother-in-law, my grandmother, my mom's mom, went ballistic because she said, how is he doing this? He's got this, you know, he's a Harvard lawyer. He's got the job at the fancy firm. And he basically, you know, put the brakes on and he couldn't get a job in what he wanted because at the time, um, and still obviously, there's a lot of um, prejudice and certain um, religions and ethnicities couldn't get jobs at certain companies. So he had to get a job where he could so it took him longer to work his way up. And he eventually was able to get into investment banking and eventually did other exciting things. And he was even head of a public company, great stuff, but it took that pivot. And so they went through this period where I was born in New York City, but they moved out to New Jersey because they couldn't afford to, ha- to live in New York City. They had to go where it was much more reasonable and, and so on. So the job itself is really not, I mean, it matters, but... Don't assume that that's going to be your life, that you will be married to someone who has this exact job. Things within their control and out of their control will change. So you have to marry the person with, as you said, Bola, the ambition and the drive. That is what you need to focus on. Absolutely. And since we're talking, we're on this topic, um, you know, when we had met at the Road to Financial Wellness in New York City, um, we had, there was this game we had played, I forgot what it was called, but... Oh, no. <laughs> I was half asleep. I I think I've been at work since 2.30 in the morning and I told Jason I would come. (sighs) Have I ever, I don't know. Have I never, ever, I don't know. But anyway. Something. The the topic of prenups came up. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And I wanted to hear your thoughts on the prenup. So I'm just going to come out and tell you right now, I don't have a prenup. That is an emotional risk I chose to take. And it's also something that's not very common culturally where, you know, in my upbringing and just, I'm originally from Nigeria. But you're also first, first and only marriage, correct? Yeah, first and only marriage. So prenup is not... First and only, you're sticking. <laughs> right. I didn't have a prenup for the first marriage. So okay. let me just say that. So here's the deal. So I think that, you know, if you get married when you're young and you have similar or low assets, not a lot of assets, <laughs> it's, you know, you know what I mean? Like normal, you know, if you're getting married and you basically have a clean slate, both of you, and you're not bringing children from a previous marriage and all that stuff in, I think, you know, to some degree, what's the point, right? There's really no point. If your parents have assets or whatever, then they can find a way themselves to protect that asset if that's something that they don't want to fall into hands that they don't want it to fall into, whatever. They can deal with that. So I think it's fine. And I also think they're not always enforceable, let's be honest. I think that, they are very important when you have children from a previous marriage coming in. I think they're very important when you have uneven assets, especially with a second marriage. So it's something that my husband and I have. Um, and it was important to both of us. There was no hesitation for either of us because we were both coming into second marriages. Both of us had been previously married. He had children coming into the marriage. I had, we both had different kinds of assets. Uh, without getting into it, um, that were e- in, actually they were probably equal value, but they were different. And we both had protective families that wanted us to have a prenup, and 
we really didn't care. We were like, whatever. We're getting married. We're going to stick. And if we, God forbid, break up, fine. We'll follow the prenup, whatever. So, and we both are very confident in our ability to earn money and support ourselves. So, you know, I, I believe I'll be married to him forever. If something were to happen, I have full confidence in myself that I can support myself. I'm not worried. That's great. I mean, when people ask me about the prenup, you know, I tell them I don't have one, but I'm actually for the prenup, especially if it's something that is crossing your mind, then you want to yeah. consider. If you're sitting down and you're thinking about who you're trying to get married to and this prenup idea is crossing your mind, then it's a conversation worth having or it's something worth exploring. Um, I think, you know, there are different connotations about whether you should have, whether you shouldn't have one. Mine is a personal choice. It's, you know, like I said, it's the risk that I've chosen to take. I don't intend to ever get divorced, but you know, I don't have a prenup. So that's what it is. <laughs> but right, but again, look, it's also, you're building a life together and it sounds yeah. like most of the assets that you're building, remember a prenup is not going to, it, it applies generally, generally to the assets that you are bringing to the marriage. Yeah, so yes. once you're married, you're growing your lives together that's not going to be covered, right? So whatever you save, if one spouse works and the other one doesn't, and one spouse is saving in a 401k because the other one doesn't have one, though they should be doing a spousal IRA or some other vehicle, um, that's joint money. It, it's, it's not, you know, people should not misunderstand what a prenup is going to do. A nasty divorce lawyer could mess you up. That, I'd be more scared of that if you're the non-working spouse. You know, I mean, the prenup is not going to protect you. If you're a non-working spouse and your husband, or, or it could be the wife, whatever, is the breadwinner, and they somehow get an attorney that can twist things in a way that can leave you at a financial disadvantage, that can probably happen um, despite a prenup. It's just, it's, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I think when you come in, I mean, even, there's just a lot of complications when you come into a marriage. I was in my 30s, he was close to 40. Um, we already had complicated financial lives. I was a property owner. Owner. He was a business owner. Mm-hmm. There was a lot going on. He had an ex-wife that he had financial ties to and still does. So, you know, ex-spouses can go in and ruin your credit score. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that could happen. So it's a lot more complicated when you're a second marriage or a marriage that happens at a time when you have already accumulated assets. And that's when a prenup becomes something that is much more serious. When you're starting out, if you're young, if you haven't accumulated a lot of assets, it almost, I mean, it doesn't really matter that much. I I don't think. It just depends. It's a personal choice. Yeah, it depends. But that's, you know, great information. So ladies, if you're listening and it's crossing your mind, explore it. If you're not worried about it, then just be comfortable in your decision and understand, you know, whatever it is that you're getting into. So... Now that we've talked about worst decisions, (laughs) I'd love to segue into what have been some of your best financial decisions that you're so proud of. So, well, I, first of all, I have to state that, you know, what's coming, Bola, you know, what's coming. (laughs) The best decision was getting remarried to my husband. (laughs) Of course. He's the best. He's working away, by the way. He's actually working from home today. He's in the other room on conference calls. He is a bigger workaholic than me. (laughs) <laughs> which is tough because I'm at it till midnight a lot of days doing stuff. Um, but I adore him. He is such a hard worker. He rebounds from anything that knocks him down. He is strong. He is definitely type A. He's a great dad and he's a great husband. And so that's the best financial decision. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> 
And by the way, we both went into the marriage, you know, open-minded that it was also a financial partnership. And he does not let me off easy, you know? He expects me to earn, even though I'm home technically, I don't have a corporate job anymore since I left Reuters a year ago to do financial grown-up full-time. We decided that I have to earn at least what I was earning at Reuters. And I will do that this year. We had a good start to 2018. So I get to keep doing this. But I... You know, he's like, you're not staying home and eating bonbons or whatever. He didn't literally say that. But, you know, it, it's very clear that I am expected to contribute. I don't make what he makes, but I want to make him proud. And you guys are in agreement in the, on that. And that's really important. You know, I think it's yeah. whatever you guys decide to do in your marriage, this is for broader listeners, whether you guys both work, somebody stays at home, somebody runs a business, you guys have to be in that agreement. Because once you start to disagree about the plan, then the conflict starts. So those are conversations you should be having while you're dating. You know, like, okay, what if yes. when we have kids, what happens? What if I want to start a business? What happens? Conversations that you should be having, they're so important. So that you can, when you get into your marriage, you already know the expectation. There is no conflict. Nothing is a shock to anybody, you know, and you guys are good. Yes. So well said. <laughs> so I wanted to talk about your book and um, I wanted you to share why is it called Financial Grown-Up? What does it mean to be a financial grown-up? And what was the inspiration behind the book? So the inspiration to a large degree was that I was always being asked by my younger coworkers, because when you cross 40 in the news business, you are sort of the elder stateswoman of the newsroom, believe it or not. And people were, oh, it's true though. I mean, when I left somebody and a very well-meaning male coworker said, I can't believe you lasted until your son was nine. And he pointed out that I was the only mom in the newsroom. And, and on that floor, I should say, on that floor, on the TV floor, there was one other mom, but her husband was home full-time with their one-year-old. Mm-hmm. So I would get, I was surrounded by these wonderful young people and they would ask me questions all the time. And they, I would go to the bookstore and look for a book that was for them. And I would actually bring my dog waffles that you see a lot on my social media because people will come up to you if you have a dog and they're super friendly and they let dogs in Barnes and Noble. And I would ask people, what do you wish was here? And they basically said they would look at a book like Tony Robbins' book, which I love, but it's really big. And they would say, well, I want to, I have the idea that I want to read Tony Robbins because he's awesome. But what I really need is, you know, personal finance for dummies, but I'm embarrassed. I don't really want to buy it and be seen with it and whatever. So I wanted something that was attainable, that was accessible, that was relatable, but aspirational. And also something that was unique because I went on this mentor tour for really the better part of a year, asking, taking meetings with anyone that would meet with me that I admired and just saying, what should I do for my next career move? And one of them said, what do you bring to the table that's unique? And I said, well, I meet all these really important people through my job. And they said, well, find something to do with that. So I kind of combined all those ideas and had this concept that I would ask them all questions and that would be the lead in to 10 different chapters. And what happened was the questions, it took on a life of its own because I came, I boiled it, boiled it down to two questions. What was your financial grown-up moment and what's the lesson from it? Mm-hmm. And by doing that, first of all, by making it super easy, you make it easier to get the interviews because people could just, it was so little. It was easy. You weren't, it wasn't a big ask. And then the stories were so interesting that instead of them just being lead-ins to chapters about the topic, they became the chapters. And I weave in financial advice between these 
interesting anecdotes. So you have advice from the actress Drew Barrymore talking about what she learned from Steven Spielberg about protecting her personal brand and being ambitious. And then I talk about, you know, the importance of being true to yourself in business and things like that. I love it. That is amazing. (laughs) It's a very quirky and weird book, just like my podcast. (laughs) I love the fact that you got so many really um, notable people in the book because a lot of times we you know, we're curious as to how do these people manage their money or how do they think about money management and business? And that's just really insightful to get to hear their own perspective, especially when we see them all the time and we just wonder. And a lot of times the news we hear about, you know, big names is not always positive. You know, we, we know they make a lot yeah. of money. We also know they get into a lot of financial trouble, but there are groups of them out there who make a lot of money and do manage their finances well and are really smart with money and are building generational wealth. And it's just really interesting to get their insights. Exactly. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the book. I was shocked at how it came out in a good way because people told me that I couldn't write it because at the time that I had the concept, I was quote, just a TV reporter. I hadn't done any print writing or anything. Um, and so without naming names, some people close to me asked if I was going to get a ghostwriter. No one really believed in me. And I'm proud that I was able to pull it off. And it was a you know hardcover book with my picture on it in Barnes & Noble, the whole thing. And so that was a major life accomplishment to have my 10-year-old go to the bookstore and see mommy's book was really special. I love that. That's incredible. And you know, a lot of people will doubt you until you prove them wrong. And then when you prove them wrong, they just shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So Bobby, what is... So true though. (laughs) So what's your summer girl superpower? My superpower is that I do a lot of invisible work that no one sees. It's true. So beyond the fact that people asked how, and you can relate to this, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners relate to this, a lot of this work is done in the hours that people don't see. So a lot of my book was written. Remember, I was full-time working. I had three kids at home because my two stepchildren, we raised them. So I had three kids at home and I had a dog and a husband and a full-time job. And people said, how did you write the book? Well, invisible. I was at you know, Whole Foods across the street, sitting at the four mica table with those, you know, fabulous fluorescent lights over me because they have power outlets and free Wi-Fi at Whole Foods. And in that little cafe, you don't really have to buy much. You could even not buy anything and they probably won't bother you. Um, So I would go up there and literally like there'd be people, some sketchy people there or whatever, but I was there, you know, I was sitting there, you know, invisible time. There's countless times when I got up early to meet someone for breakfast or figured out ways to sneak away for lunch or for drinks just to meet a contact that, you know, a year later I could potentially ask to introduce me to somebody important or whatever, just constantly networking. I would constantly do, um, I don't like to call them favors because I'm happy to do them, but to do things that will benefit other people where I don't get anything on the, it does actually make me happy in the short term, but also in the longer term, I do believe in karma. I do believe that it comes back to you, even if not directly from that person, the most lucrative jobs that I have gotten have been from, you know, I would call them like third part, like not, not my best friends, like people that are sort of people that know me, they might've worked with me 10 years ago and then something comes up and they drop my name to the potential client. That's how I've ended up getting so many things. So I try to be that person. And when someone asks me for a referral, come up with somebody, it might not be in my inner circle. It could be someone I worked with five years ago that I always thought was smart in that invisible work making sure you build your network when you don't need it 
working till midnight, you know, at the coffee shop after your child goes to bed, whatever. That is what makes the difference, I think. And it, it's invisible. People don't always see it. They just, I had a friend that three months after the book came out, I got a lot of press. I was in a lot of magazines, this and that. And she said, I can't believe what you accomplished in three months. And I'm still a little upset that she said that because she is an underachiever. And she, to this day, she even quit her job to write a book. She hasn't done anything about the book in nine months. Nothing's happening, but she went to yoga. And it upset me because I don't think she understands how much work, real work, Bola, and your listeners know this, really goes into the stuff that you don't see to be an overnight success. Not overnight, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. You know, I, I heard some, there's something that someone told told me um, that made so much sense. And it was the more you do and the bigger accomplishments you make, <clears throat> the easier people will think it is because they don't see the work. Yes. Right? They just see the accomplishments. So they just assume that it's easy. And it's true because when you look at a lot of successful people and you you don't you don't really see, you know, all the work they've put in, they look like this big overnight success and all you see is success after success after success. And in your mind, we, you kind of start to think, oh, well, it can't be that hard. You know, they do all these things, but you don't know how much groundwork they've laid, how much they've put into the background of this foreground that you see. And, you know, so that's, it's normal. It's sometimes it's disappointing. Like, just like you, I had someone tell me actually very recently, oh my God, you're still doing that clever girl finance thing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> a little thing. That little thing, little do they know. <laughs> you know, they I don't know. To, I had to put on my veil of Jesus so that I was uh-huh. very, very <laughs> 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 You know, I, I, I keep having to catch myself these days. You know, I would remind myself, what would Jesus do? Pull up. <laughs> so yeah. people will say things like that. And, but then when you get to that point where you are, you've done this amazing thing, I bet she was like, oh my God, how did you do this? Because nine months later, she's right. still in her book and you're done and you're in yep. the mobile and you have all these celebrities in your book and it's like a massive success. So there you have it. <laughs> there you have it. Yeah, overnight, just like that. <laughs> exactly, yep. overnight success, amazing. <laughs> just like all your, your kids' forms for school get filed instantly, like the fairy godmother of medical forms and school forms and bus permission forms and all the paperwork and admin from being a mom. It, you know, everything, everything, people think it just magically gets done, but it's all work and organization and putting in the time. Invisible work. (laughs) (laughs) So Bobby, this has been great. I appreciate you coming on. I'd love for you to share with people how um, they can keep up with you. I'm going to be putting the link to your book in the show notes for those of you who are interested in checking it out, but I'd love for you to to keep up with you. Yeah. Well, my love right now, I always will love my book. It's like my book is my first love, but my current love is my podcast, which is everywhere that you can hear Clever Girl. You can hear Financial Grown Up as well. So it's on all the various channels and obviously on my website, which is just my name, bobbyrebell.com. And there's a tab there, Financial Grown Up Podcast. So I would strongly urge everyone to please check out the podcast. The big excitement on the podcast is that we are going to have once a month, a listener episode where if you want to be the guest, on the episode, you can write to me at info at financialgrownup.com and just write... You listen to a couple episodes, you'll get it. And you'll write to me what you would say because there's only three questions on the podcast. And I'm excited about seeing what comes from that. Beyond that, social media. Follow me you know, on Twitter at Bobby Rebel, Instagram at Bobby Rebel one Backstory on that bola, sadly, is I lost the password to Bobby Rebel and they won't give it back to me. Isn't that horrible? And so 
I'm working on trying to get that back. And, um, you know, Facebook, Bobby Rebel, LinkedIn, Bobby Rebel. I think I have my, my married name on there, Kaufman as well. Um, but, and sign up for my newsletter, bobbyrebel.com. I only probably send one a month. So I don't, I won't clog your, your inbox, but um, I try to put out a little bit of a newsletter once in a while. Um, but please check out the podcast. And like I said, I'm really excited about the listener episodes. So if that's something you're interested in and you have a great money story, definitely be in touch. Oh, thank you so much, Bobby. This has been great. You're wonderful. Thank you so much. So I hope you guys enjoyed listening in to this episode with Bobby. And if you did, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and you can also listen to episodes on the Clever Girl Finance YouTube channel. And please, please head over to iTunes and leave a review of the podcast if you love what you listen to. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll talk to you guys on the next episode of the podcast.